If you have your Bibles, I invite you again to 2 Samuel. We are in chapter 18. 2 Samuel chapter 18. This is one of the most thought-provoking accounts in Scripture. It makes a point that we all need to heed as a church and as individual believers who are a part of that church or any church. We're going to read verses 19 through 33, but I want to take you to verse 30 first. And I want to read to you something David told a young man named Ahimaaz. And the king said unto him, Turn aside, stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. Now, you're going to see the context in just a moment, but I want you to imagine being faithful to the Lord, being dedicated and committed, and one day, years from now, at the end of your race, standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, and he looks at you and says, Turn aside and stand over there. Just stand there. I'm really not interested in what you have to say. I'm not sending you to hell, but I'm just asking you to stand over there. Because there's some other folks that I want to hear from today. That would be very tragic, wouldn't it? That'd be the sad climax to a life lived in church life, the life of a church, the life of a Christian. I call this the running of Ahimaaz, the race to irrelevance. So let's read and see what happens. Absalom's coup is over. Joab, contrary to the orders of King David, has brutally murdered a defenseless combatant, a defenseless rebel, as he hung in the trees in the forest of Ephraim. You remember that last week? And the mule has walked on. And Joab brutally murders David's rebellious son, Absalom. The rebellion is over. The coup is over. He has blown the trumpet, called the soldiers in, and said, it's time is over. And so it's after the battle. Absalom has been buried beneath a pile of rocks. And Joab the general is still on the battlefield. And this happens. Verse 19. Then said Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, let me now run and bear the king tidings, how that the Lord hath avenged him of his enemies. 
And Joab said unto him, Thou shalt not bear tidings this day, but thou shalt bear tidings another day. But this day thou shalt bear no tidings, because the king's son is dead. Then said Joab to Cushai, Go tell the king what thou hast seen. And Cushai bowed himself unto Joab and ran. Then said Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, yet again to Joab, But howsoever, let me, I pray thee, also run after Cushai. And Joab said, Why will you run, my son, seeing thou hast no tidings ready? But however, said he, let me run. And Joab said unto him, Well, run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and overran, outran Cushai. And David sat between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate under the wall and lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man running alone. And the watchman cried and told the king, and the king said, If he be alone, there is tidings in his mouth. And he came apace and drew near. And the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called unto the porter and said, Behold, another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings tidings. And the watchman said, Methinketh the running of the foremost, the one in front, is like the running of Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok. And the king said, He is a good man and comes with good tidings. And Ahimaaz called and said unto the king, All is well. And he fell down to the earth upon his face before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord thy God, which hath delivered up the men that lifted up their hand against my lord the king. And the king said, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Ahimaaz answered, when Joab sent the king's servants, and me thy servant, I saw a great tumult, but I knew not what it was. And the king said unto him, Turn aside and stand here. And he turned aside and stood still. And behold, Cushai came. And Cushai said, Tidings my lord the king, tidings, my lord the king, for the Lord hath avenged thee this day of all them that rose up against thee. And the king said unto Cushai, Is the young man Absalom safe? And Cushai answered, The enemies of my lord the king, and all that rise against thee to do thee hurt, be as that young man is. And the king was much moved, and went up to the chamber over the gate, and wept. And as he went, thus he said, O oh, my son Absalom, my son, 
my son Absalom. Would God I had died for thee, O Absalom, my son, my son. Let's talk about this man, Ahimaaz, for a little bit. And then we will talk about the race to irrelevance. How do you get to where you stand before the Lord Jesus one day and you want to hear well done, but instead you hear, stand aside. You don't have any news for me. Stand aside. Hemaz heard that when he finished his race. Let's look at this young man. Uh, in chapter 14, uh, we see him as very heroic. Somebody very much to be admired, and indeed he is. We see three things that are outlined in Scripture. First of all, his role in the kingdom. He is a priest. His father Zadok, mentioned several times in our text, was the faithful priest who brought the Ark of the Covenant out when David was fleeing from Absalom, and David sent him back. Ahimaaz is his son. So, um, Ahimaaz would have... An interesting duty in life. He would care for the spiritual life of the nation. That's his role in the kingdom. The second thing we are highlighted about him is his risk for the king. In chapter 17, you remember uh, when it found, was found out what Absalom was going to do and how he was going to attack. Ahimaaz and Jonathan were the two young, young men that escaped from Jerusalem hid in a well, remember that? And were on the run and went and told David exactly what was going to happen. They took great risk because the enemy was on their heels. They could have been killed. They could have been executed by Absalom's men. He took great risk for the king. How exciting. How wonderful. But also is highlighted, especially in this text, is his running. As we will see in the text... He must have had some special way he ran, some running style. I don't know what it was. He, I do know he was very, very fast. Uh, and he was well known for his running because the, the watchmen back at the city of Mahanaim, where David was, was awaiting word of the battle, looked out and said, there's two guys, there's one guy running. And David said, well, that means it's good news. It's not the whole army in retreat. And then he said, I see somebody else running. And, and he says, the one in front looks like the running of a hemaz. This guy had a certain style and a certain speed about him. They, they, he looked like the, the road runner on Wiley Coyote's road runner. Just getting after him. He, he did it fast and he was good at it. He, he would have won the gold medal in the Olympics. You could not ask for a more faithful, strong, and talented supporter of David. In verse 27, David says, if that's a he-maz indeed, he is a good man. He brings good tidings. I have high expectations of what he's going to say. He's awesome. 
But to this man, at the end of the race, David said, move out of the way. Stand over here for a while. I want to hear from somebody else. Wow. Well, that is like God saying to somebody, or David saying to him, you are irrelevant right now. You bring nothing before me at the end of your race that I'm concerned with. You're irrelevant. That is terrible, isn't it? When I stand before Jesus one day, I do not want him to say to me, stand aside because there's some other folks that have run well. There's some other folks who have been faithful to me. I want to hear from them. They've got something I want to hear. This message is hard and tough, but I hope it encourages you. So, what makes a church? What makes an individual Christian? What makes me? What makes you? Stand before the Lord Jesus Christ one day, our Savior, and He says, stand aside. Stand aside. Well, I want to give you a few things. Number one, when you do not share the Lord's concern, you are up, warming up for the race to irrelevance. In verses 19 through 21, we see this idea about having the wrong concern. David's concern was for Absalom. As a matter of fact, we read last week when David's men had eyes right and they were marching out of the gate to go to battle, David would tell every general in the hearing of every man, deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. My concern, my burden... My heart is for the young man Absalom. Deal gently with him for my sake. He did not want Absalom to die. He wanted Absalom to be reconciled to himself. Before the battle, he gave those orders over and over again. His concern was for the soul of Absalom. His burden was for Absalom. He was more concerned for Absalom than he was in ending the rebellion. He was more concerned for the reconciliation with Absalom, his rebel child, his prodigal, if you will, than he was in keeping his throne secure. He wanted Absalom. Now, we know Joab didn't. Joab was mad. He wanted to punish Absalom. He wanted Absalom to be dead, conveniently dead. And that's why he murdered him. Ahimaaz did not murder Absalom, but he basically had the same kind of heart as Absalom. Ahimaaz's concern was not the king's concern. Uh, he, he, uh, He was concerned with bringing tidings. Let, Let me tell the king... 
this good news. Let me tell the king. And Joab knew, even Joab, as hard a man as he is, and as contrary to David as he could be, Joab knew, he said, son, you don't need to bring tidings today because the king's son is dead. He's concerned about Absalom and you could care less about Absalom. So you don't have the same concern as David does. You are not the one who needs to run and, and, and stand before him and, and give him news. And then Joab says, Cushai. Now, this is the, the first time we're introduced to this man named Cushai. Some say that Cushai was not uh, his name. It was his race, that he was from Ethiopia. And this was just a faithful servant, loyal servant to Joab. And he knew this man would do a good job. And he calls him forward and says, you run. Cushai, you run. And um, he's obedient, and he's humble, and he obeys without question, and he knows exactly what to say. And he was one who was concerned for David's sake, contrasted to Ahimaaz, who, who wanted to further his name, who wanted to receive, be the giver of good news and receive something for it. You know, the Bible teaches us that God is concerned for the souls of men. That's his heart. That's what the cross is all about, is lost souls. The Absaloms that I know and you know, the Absaloms in our family, our missions, being born again, being reconciled to himself, that is the heart of God. That's what makes him weep. That's his concern. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. My question is, the text raises the question, is that your concern? Is that your burden? Is that your burden? Isn't there at least one soul that if they died now, they would be in hell, that you as a Christian are concerned about and you're caring for them, and you're praying for them, and you're burdened for them. What is your concern? Do you have the concern of the Lord Jesus Christ? And so you are on the road to standing aside when your concern is not the heart of God's concern. Second of all, when you do not share the same celebration as you are, as God does, you are in the starting block for the race to irrelevance. Verse 22, he came again. Joab sent out Cushai and Ahimaaz, came again and said, Howsoever, um, I pray thee, let me run after Cushai. And, and Joab says, son, why do you want to go stand before the king right now? You don't have any tidings ready. And the implication is, is you don't have the good news in mind that the king wants to hear. Now, I want you to get this. 
howsoever. Basically, it says, Joab, it really doesn't matter to me what, what the king's concern is. I got it in my mind that he wants to hear the good news that the rebellion is over. That he can go back to his palace in Jerusalem. He, he, he's got ten concubines waiting on him over there. He, he's got his throne. He's got the comforts of home. That, that, that's what I want to tell him. Surely he'll celebrate the fact that, that 20,000 of Absalom's men are dead and the reb rebellion and the coup is over. He is certainly king now. Though that's what I want to celebrate with the king. And Joab says, you don't have the good news ready to tell the king. You don't have a clue what the king wants to celebrate. He wants to celebrate Absalom alive and reconciled and back in the family and back at home. He wants to celebrate Absalom's safety and security and reconciliation. You want to celebrate the rebellion being over. You want to glory in what the king is grieving over. You see? And so, folks, when you are not celebrating what the king celebrates, I want to tell you something. You're on the road. You're on the race to irrelevance. That can happen to a church. Did you know that? Now, I'm about to say something I said the other day, and I'm going to say it again. I do not want you to leave this place having a misperception or misquoting me or taking what I'm saying out of context. The church's job is not to stop rebellions. Our job is to preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel and win the loss to Christ. That will end the rebellions. Amen? What if we eradicate abortion in America? We've won that rebellion. But what about the soul of that wicked, murdering doctor who dies and goes to hell? Jesus cares for his soul. What about that woman who has no other options, she thinks, and she has an abortion at the behest and encouragement of her boyfriend or husband or partner, and we stop it, and she has her baby? What about her soul? What about her salvation? What about her reconciliation with God? What about that man, that father's reconciliation with God? We might win a battle, and we might celebrate, but God celebrates the souls of men and women and boys and girls coming to Christ and being saved. That's what the angels rejoice over. Amen? That's what the woman who found the lost coin rejoiced over. That's what the shepherd who found the lost sheep rejoiced over. And that's what the father in Luke 15 rejoiced over. And so I want to tell you, 
We need to have the celebration that God has when a soul has been saved. Amen? Now, I won't tell you if it was up to me, there wouldn't be a drop of liquor sold in the United States. I just said it. I know you're mad at me, but I don't care. You ain't going to bother me none. Amen? I wish we could close down every single bar down Government Street. Amen? Open up hamburger joints. And... uh I, 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 that's what I want to do. I'm a teetotaler because that's what the Bible teaches. But I want to tell you something. God is concerned about the drunk coming to Him and being born again. God's concerned about the bartender being saved. Amen? We need to celebrate what God celebrates. He celebrates the souls of men coming to Jesus. Let's not run and wind up at the throne and say, God, we're here to give an account for our Christianity. And he says, well, what do you have? We shut down some bars. We stopped abortion. And by the way, we changed the Supreme Court and did away with gay marriage in America. He's going to say, well, what about their souls? What about their salvation? What about their reconciliation to me? Well, God, I thought you'd be happy. I'm happy with souls. I sent my son Jesus to die on the cross for sinners to be saved and forgiven of their sin and reconciled to him through my son, to me through my son. That's his celebration. Amen. Now, folks, you're looking at me like a calf looks at a new gate. You know what that means? It just means you think I'm crazy. But I want to tell you something. That's good preaching whether you like it or not. Amen. God is concerned about the souls of men. Amen. Let me tell you something else. Let me tell you something else. Well, we got to make sure our kids are successful. Let's get them in school and make sure and hound them with grades and make sure they grow up and live a better life, more financially secure and richer than we are. And God says, okay. Preacher says, okay, that means they're future tithers. Amen. But I want to tell you what you need to concern yourself with their souls. Their souls coming to the Lord Jesus Christ and being saved and born again and using their resources for the glory of God. Amen. And so, if you do not celebrate what the Lord, the King, celebrates, you're in the race to irrelevance. Stand aside. Thank you for the good things you've done, but stand aside. Third, when you compete against the desires of the Lord, the race to irrelevance starts. Boom. Starting pistol has been fired. Notice some characteristics about the runners in the race to irrelevance. Verse 23. First of all, you are persistent and won't take no for an answer. The race to irrelevance is easy to get into. It's easily ran because it, it, it looks so good. And... Um, no one is ever disqualified. You know, folks, 
I say no to a lot of good things. I say yes to some good things that I really ought to say no to because in the long run it just winds up distracting from evangelism and distracting from who's your mission. And sometimes we get involved in something and we think, man, this is our ministry and this is our life that looks so good and everybody likes it. Look, look, they're seeing us run and they see us run fast and they say, wow, that, that's a special kind of running. But in the end, it's, it's not God's real purpose. We need to be careful about that. No one is ever disqualified in the race to irrelevance. This, this is what a church, we call in, 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 in uh, professional church circles, we call it mission drift. You know, the mission of the church is, is, is very simple. Win souls, baptize them, train them. That's it. Win souls, baptize them, train them. You ever think that we got so much going on that doesn't add one cent to winning them to Christ, baptizing them, or training them? And mission drift. And we get on mission drift, and we get away from the mission of the church. It's easily done. Notice in verse 23b, the the Cushite takes off running. And apparently the way it reads is the Cushite ran on the hillsides. He, he, He ran on the hillsides, which would be kind of rocky and hard, and he took the, the hard route in his running. And um, some say he took that route because he really wanted to think about what he was about to say to the king. I mean, wouldn't you uh, think about what you were going to say to the king? And so he's on the hillside, and he's having to go around rocks and jump over rocks and fallen logs and and briar patches and all of that, and just run, run, run as hard as he can, and no doubt it slowed him down. But Ahimaaz takes off, and the Bible says he runs through the plain. He runs through the lower valley, and and there's no uh, obstacles. Matter of fact, it's probably farmland, and he's just uh, running along. There's no hurdles and no obstacles in the race to irrelevance. Nothing will stand in your way. You see, it's easy to do. It's an easy race to run. It's busy. Your legs are moving fast, but it's really not any obstacles. Amen. And then in verse 23c, he outran the Cushite. Now, this dude must have been fast. Never bet against a Hemas. That dude can run now. And he gets after it, and he runs. How, how many of you would say you're a fast runner? <laughs> when I was in Little League Baseball, I, was, I pitched, and I was a slow runner. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and you can laugh at this if you want, but uh, I need to have some comic relief because you look stressed. I had a nickname. I was a slow, slow runner. I wasn't even as fast as the Cushite. I wasn't as quick as Christmas. They called me Tugboat. That's what they called me. If you ever. 
we will have two new ministers. Amen. And if you ever, I will not come see you in the hospital. But a Hemaz was no tugboat. He was a speedboat. And off he goes. And he's full blast. And he outruns. Cushai started first. He had, he had at least a few minutes on Cushai, Cole. And because and, and, he had to argue with Joab, you know. And Joab finally just looks at him and says, well, go ahead. Boy, you know what? That's a, staff members, let me preach to you too. That's a terrible thing when we just have to look at people and say, well, look, we don't think it has any significance for the kingdom of God. There's no biblical plan behind it, but just go ahead because you won't take no for an answer. Woo! We don't want to fight with you about it. Just go ahead. And he outruns a hemaz. Speedboat. And he's running through the plains. No obstacle. No hindrances. Let me tell you something, folks. When you get on the race to irrelevance, and when a church gets on the race to irrelevance, or a convention of churches gets on to the race of irrelevance, you will always be in first place. You always will. You'll always be in first place. And then verse 24 through 26, uh, the, the watchman looks out, the king sitting in the gate, waiting on news, waiting on news for Absalom. And, and the watchman looks out and says, um, I, see, I, I, I see a runner coming. He's one man. And King David says, oh, that's good news. It's not the whole army retreating. That's good news. He's, he's bringing good tidings. And then he says, I, I, I see another runner behind him. And he's coming. And, and the one in the lead looks like the running of a he-man's. A he is a good man. He won't disappoint me, David says. And then in verse 27, eventually Ahimaaz being recognized. So far, so good. Everybody knows him. Everybody knows him. He even fools David. And David prepares himself to hear the tidings of a man who surely... Surely because way back yonder, just a chapter or two behind us, at the beginning of all this, Ahimaaz took some risk for me. He was faithful to me. He was brave and courageous for me. Surely he has my concern. Surely he wants to bring me celebratory news about my lost son. And then we see the fourth thing. At the finish line, you have no content that interests the Lord. And you have won the race to irrelevance. 
he runs up. He starts to slow down because if he stopped dead, he did stop, he'd fall over. The dust clears behind him. And he looks at David and he says, All is well. That's the wrong concern. If David was concerned about the battle and the rebellion and keeping his throne, all is well. But David wasn't simply concerned about that. He was concerned about the lost soul. All was not well. And then he said, Blessed be, blessed be the wrong celebration. And then he had no content. David ignored all of that. David said, what about the young man Absalom? And Ahimaaz said, as I was on the sidelines of all that, I, I, I saw a lot of tumult. I saw dust flying everywhere, and I saw darts flying from here to there, and I saw, I, I saw ten men jumping around. I saw Joab giving out orders, but... But I, 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 I wasn't concerned about Absalom as much as I was about other things. So I just didn't see. Stand aside. Stand aside. Your concerns are not my concerns, Ahimaaz. Your celebration is not my celebration, Ahimaaz. Stand aside. And then... Cushai shows up. And Cushai is very practical. He said, tidings, my lord, the king. The battle's over, the coup's over. And the king said, is the young man Absalom safe? And in a very tactful way, Cushai said, no. He's not. Cushai wasn't in on the murder of Absalom. That was Joab. That's another message coming up. But at least Cushai knew the heart of the king. At least he knew that, that he was concerned for Absalom. What are you going to say about the souls of men and your Absaloms. Let me give you a couple of lessons, three lessons in particular, and then I'm going to show you Jesus in all of this. First of all, when you get on the race, when a church, a convention, an individual Christian gets on the race to irrelevance, I want to tell you what's going to happen. They're always going to do well. They're going to do it well. Oh, tugboat's going to be a speedboat when that happens. But I want to tell you something. I'd rather be a tugboat with God's concerns than a speedboat without His concerns. And then also, if you want to give God glory, you've got to share God's grief. If you want to give God glory, you've got to share God's grief. David was broken. We see in verse 33. Oh, the burden of this grief 
and pain and hurt that David felt when he found out Absalom had died. You know, um, David had many sons. And some of them we know just because of the chronology of things that they died. But Scripture only records um, four deaths, three up until this time. The first one he lost was uh, Amnon who had raped his sister. Remember that? Absalom murdered him. The second one he lost was a, was a little baby that was born to Bathsheba. And God took that little child. He was about one year old. God took him. And uh, we, we talked about that. We preached on that. And David, when that little, when, when Amnon died, David was just angry at Amnon. When the little baby died, David had been fasting and praying for the child to live. And God took the child to heaven. And David stood up and he showered and shaved and cleaned himself up. And he said, and his servant said, King, forgive us for being so blunt, but you're not grieving. And, and David said something marvelous about babies when they die and go to, when they die, he said, He cannot come to me, but I can go to him. And he had hope in that loss. But here, there is brokenness. There is a heavy burden, too heavy for him to bear. He was much moving. He had to leave. He had to leave his men. He had to walk away from the Cushite, probably just pass right a Hemaz by and, and goes into the chamber. His bedroom there in Mahanaim. I wonder if he thought about another bedroom about nine or ten years earlier where he sinned against God. David's bedrooms have brought a lot of sorrow in his life. And he weeps uncontrollably. So much so next week we're going to see that Joab has to... Has to to, to get him straight because he's got to be king. We'll, we'll see that next week. But, but David is so broken and burdened. You know why? You know why? There's no hope. David is weeping without hope. Absalom is lost. There is no reconciliation, no forgiveness, no redemption. Absalom is lost. That is what brings the king grief. And if you want to give glory to the king, you have to share his grief. And that's lost people without Christ. Now and in eternity. And then, another lesson, you do not have to be, and many of you are not, you do not have to be irrelevant at the judgment seat of Christ. You, you don't have to hear, stand aside. What can you do? Well, repent. Repent. Take on a mission. At least one soul that needs to be saved today or they'll go to hell tomorrow if they died. 
And pray for them and pray for them and pray for them and get your church family to pray for them and pray for them and witness to them the gospel when you can. Witness to them from the word of God and live a holy life in front of them so your message of the gospel that God's given you has merit and credibility. Get a soul. I said last week when I die, I don't care anything about tombstones or anything else. I want people to walk by and point down at my beautiful body and say, he led me to Jesus. Or he taught me to win people to Jesus. Or he encouraged me to win people to Jesus. That's what I want people to say. You don't have to be this way. You don't have to be in a he-mask. You can be a Kushai. So, I want to encourage you to repent and get on with the mission. Who's your mission? Get on with it. Win somebody to Jesus. Pray for some soul. Ask God to help you. Ask God to give you courage to do so. And when you stand before him, he's going to say, what about your Absalom? I pray you'll be able to say, Lord, he's right over there. He got here before I did. Or, Lord, he's coming. Or, Lord, I did everything in my power, and I'm still asking you for your Holy Spirit's work. Where is Jesus in all of this? Well, a couple of things. First of all, we see Jesus in the burden of the lost for David. Didn't David say, oh, Absalom, Absalom, oh, Absalom, Absalom. Didn't David's greater son named Jesus stand over a city of lost people without Christ, without salvation, and say, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. See, his concern and his compassion and his desire for people to be saved. That was it. And then David said, would God, Absalom, I had died for you. Absalom, I would have died for you to see you reconciled. Well, David did not do that because he could not do that. But I want to tell you, his greater son named Jesus, he would die for sinners to be saved and take their place in the judgment of God and the wrath of God on the cross. And not only would he, but he did. And he died for people to be saved. And if you're not a 100% certain if you died today, you'd go to heaven. Somebody loved you enough to pray for you and bring you here today by the providence of God. Somebody may have loved you enough to invite you. Somebody might have given you an invite card to our church. But you're here today. Maybe you're young and you're, you're just a teenager or just a child. And I want to tell you, your parents brought you here. or Somebody went by and picked you up to bring you here. And you don't know if you're going to make it to heaven or not. You don't know if you're saved. You don't know if your sins are forgiven. And you want to know. You can know. And you can trust Christ as your Savior today and have 100% knowledge of a home in heaven and Christ in your heart and life today. And that's the message. The invitation is this. Three things. Number one, if you're a saved person... You're running a race. You're running a race. What's going to be said at the end of the race? What's your content when God says, what about the Absaloms? What's your content going to be? What's he going to say? Second of all, 
Maybe God's leading you to join our church here at First Baptist Church, Ocean Springs. We want you to come if the Lord's leading you. If you've been saved and baptized biblically by immersion, believing that it is a symbol, not, not a part of salvation, but a symbol of your salvation, and you are a, 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 come from another Baptist church or what have you, and you want to come and be a part of First Baptist Church, the invitation's open. And also, if you're not 100% certain that if you died today, you'd go to heaven, but you want to be, you want to be, that's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. I want you, I invite you to come forward. We're going to stand up and sing. You just walk down this aisle and say, Preacher or Cole, I want to make this decision. I want to be saved. I want to join our church.